247 of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Rahal, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd. We are, of course, here uh, dwelling within the confines of Magenta Manor, deep, deep, deep down in the dark in the Pat Cave. We are, of course, brought to you by Deadly Grounds Coffee. Once you go deadly, you don't go back. And because of that, or not because of that, but reverse we're part of the dorkening network and that's why we're sponsored by by deadly grounds coffee good job yeah i actually bought five bags of deadly coffee today because uh, uncle joe sent my birthday money so uh we got a whole bunch of deadly grounds coffee coming uh but i am not here by myself as you heard uh, i am here with my co-host on the show my co-host in life she is <gasps> the baroness of bordeaux the countess of cabernet the mistress of merlot the real housewife of transylvania the queen of the monsters uh the no, I'm going to switch that up. She's the Michael Phelps of wine, the queen of the monsters, and an honorary Lizzie. Ladies and gentlemen, Ashes One Nightmare. Stacy, did Frederica ever mention a Jame Gum or a Jamie Gum? What, what about, about a John, John Grant? Grant? Yeah, today we are discussing uh, <laughs> one of my favorite characters. We're going to be talking about uh, Clarice Starling. So, fun fact. Starling Clarice M. Yeah. Uh, fun fact, that little bit is in a song by Katya Zamolodzikova, you know, the drag queen of uh, Trixie and Katya fame. And Trixie actually says that part in the middle of a song. So she has this EP out called Vampire Fitness, and I need to get it. But the songs are, are fantastic. And the song Ding Dong, which pokes fun at something, you you have to watch uh, to know what I'm talking about. But anyways, um, she has a song and it's Russian pop and it's hilarious because she sings in Russian and you have no idea what she's talking about. Unless but you speak Russian. In the middle of the song, there's this little bridge and it's Trixie saying that part and it's hilarious. Yeah, um, I've been. Uh, we were we were looking into doing this character for a while, and mm-hmm. it's one of the ones that I've been kind of thinking about. And it's funny because we've been watching, um, you know, when we watched, you know, Hannibal, and we watched all the movies. Like, you know, it's so easy to point out the stuff that's different or the stuff that's been taken from the source material. But we've been watching the uh, the CBS show uh, Clarice, which takes place, you know. You know, shortly after the events of Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. And to me, the most remarkable thing about that is the guy who played Paul Krendler in Silence of the Lambs somehow turns into Michael Cudlitz, who is going to grow up into Ray Liotta, apparently. Um, you sure it's not Rob Lowe? I'm 100% sure it's not <laughs> Rob Lowe. I know the difference between those two guys. But yeah, it's, it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's a fun show, and we were thinking about that, and we're like, we should do uh, an episode on Clarice, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a fun show. It's a lot of fun. It's it's an interesting show. Oh, speaking of Ray Liotta, there's a uh, you know if you ever uh, if anybody ever goes to pristineauction.com, uh, sometimes they uh, they raffle off sports memorabilia, and occasionally you can find a Ray Liotta signed baseball bat from Field of Dreams. Oh, fun! Yeah. See, that is fun. Yeah, I said it was fun. Clarice, not so fun. Clarice explains it all. That'll be our uh, 
That's going to be our, our That's episode be our title. That's going to be our episode title. Why, Patsy? Why, Why is that going to be our be title? Epi- because that is the uh, – somebody posted that in uh, our buddy Joe over at uh, – um, oh, my God. What is their show? You're talking about Horror Squad? Yes. Joe's Joe's show uh, in, in, in his group, Joe's House of Horror. And um, uh, I was going back and forth with uh, the delightful Kaylee Holmes – who is uh, going to be a guest at some point when we cover Freddy Krueger. Uh, and we were both quoting the movie, but like also making it seem like we were referring to Clarice as Clarissa. And I quoted the part about how she was not more than one generation from poor white trash, and I got a 24-hour Facebook ban. Because you can't say white trash on Facebook. But you can be super sexist and racist. That's okay. Oh, yeah. You can completely sexually harass someone in a comment and steal one of their pictures off of Facebook. That's okay. But uh, don't say white trash when you're quoting something. Yeah, it's... uh... Read the room, Facebook. Yeah, yeah, it's. Oh, but anyway, so well, and, and and it's crazy. Speaking about the social medias right now, Facebook has been really crazy with the whole like giving people timeouts and grounding people from their Facebook for a few days. For stuff. For stuff that's so stupid, and well, for stuff that's like a long time ago stuff too. We're talking months. I got banned. Months. Thirty days. 30 days from going live, which is kind of a pain in the ass when it comes to doing my sports memorabilia stuff that we do over in the Loudest Sports Show group. Uh, we got I got banned from going live in, on Facebook for 30 days because of a meme that I put up in November. And it was a meme of Jeffrey Dahmer that says, no one's going to tell me how many people I can have for Thanksgiving. That was in November. And just now they're like, yeah, your post goes against our community standards. I'm like... What? Your face goes against my And you know what they standards. classified it under? Uh, sexuality and nudity. Neither of those things is a part of that. It's him in a sweater with some words next to it. And that's what I got banned from going live for. I mean, I've, I've been able to find a workaround, so it's, it's been fine. But I'm very, uh, very irritated with how these guys are doing things. So speaking of Jeffrey Dahmer... That kind of leads into our getting into character question for today, which is if you could have dinner with any serial killer, I'm having an old who friend would you choose and why? And now keep in mind that um, you would be having dinner you would with not this be person. Dinner. You would not be dinner and your safety would not be at risk in any way, shape or form. Safety guaranteed as opposed to that movie with Aubrey Plaza. Safety not guaranteed. Um, yeah, see, this is a good one, and I like the fact that you kind of just dropped it, like, a few minutes before we started recording, because I like questions like that, and I like having them dropped right before, so that way, like, it's whatever's at the top of your mind. You're you don't welcome. Have, you don't have too much time, and this is why we do our getting into character questions the way we do. It's like, oh, just, you know, snap, snap judgment. What did you, what did you think of this? What do you got with that? Like, just go, and... Yeah, uh, just go. So uh, <laughs> I had it uh, down to a couple of different people. Like, I think that the uh, uh, Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, would be mm-hmm. interesting to uh, kind of converse with. But at the same time, like, I don't, I don't know a whole lot. Like, I would be 
even though he's not technically a serial killer, I would be very interested to have a conversation with uh, Charles Manson. Like, you know, obviously he's not the one who did anything. No, but he pulled the strings. Right. He was the he was the, the master the, manipulator. Yeah, he was the ringleader of the whole thing. So it would be interesting to have a conversation with someone like that. Um, you know, some of these people, you know, I, I, I don't really care about your motivations. Um, but some of them, it's like, like, a, uh, like a Gacy. That would be an interesting conversation, I think. Would you want him to dress like the clown? No, I would do because, you know, <laughs> like we're not at fucking Chuck E. Cheese. Like we're just having, we're having dinner. We're having a conversation. So yeah, I would want it to Wear be... your Sunday best. So what about you? So, I mean, this is a question that I think about a lot. Um, so I'm going to kind of start with uh, a little more of a kind of like basic bitch kind of answers. Uh, Ted Bundy. I am so fascinated by Ted Bundy. And it's more or less the reaction to him, how he was able to get away with what he got away with for so long. Escaping from prison and killing some more. Uh, you know, until obviously he was ultimately caught and then sentenced to death. And he was um, given Ex the death penalty. Uh, executed. Executed in 1989, I believe. But he stood in court and he represented himself because he had some, you know, legal schooling background and he was so unbelievably charismatic to the point where the judge flat out told him, I, you know, you're a bad guy. You did some bad things, but I like you. Like, what the fuck? Who's, what? Because he's so charismatic. Like, right. He's like, able he had such this. a way with people. And, you know, I don't find him good looking, but a lot of women found him just super attractive. And they were so, I, I mean, like, I get it because of the, the charisma factor. Like, he's got it, you know? But, you know, and, and then, you know, all of these women flocked to the trial to see him. And he was getting letters in prison. Marriage he got proposals. married yep. in prison. He had a child while in while on death row. You know, things happen. Like it's it's crazy, absolutely bonkers. But his story is so interesting. And you know, listening to some of the Ted Bundy tapes, like, uh, uh, who is this guy? You know what I mean? Like, clearly, there was something there. And I've seen some of the crime scene photos. I haven't seen a lot of the more graphic ones because I don't believe they've... Re if, if, if they've released them, I haven't been able to get my hands on them. So, they probably so there's wouldn't. that. Yeah, yeah, there's probably some things that they, they kept, you know, hush-hush. Uh, you know, locked away in a in a folder filing cabinet somewhere. But it's uh, he just fascinates the hell out of me for, you know, the, and, and to be able to carry on as a family man. To have a partner who had a child and they had no fucking clue, mm -hmm. no clue to be Usually able to just flip works. a switch like that. Like psychologically, I'm so intrigued by that. 
Um, so I would love to have dinner with him and have conversations and see if he'll, uh, I mean, cause he, he, he's spoken about, you know, some of the stuff that he's done and, uh, some of his, his motive, but he's never really elaborated on it. And I would love to be like, okay, so clearly you have a dark side. So, so, you know, let's, let's chat. Uh, another one that you mentioned, Patsy is, uh, Richard Ramirez, the night stalker, mm -hmm. uh, his killing. So typically serial killers have a type that they go after or serial a cl killers tend to hunt in their own ethnic group. Or, you know, a specific uh, signature, you know, like they kill a specific way. Like the son they of have Sam. A, yes. Uh, Richard Ramirez was none of that, which is why it took so long to catch him. Um, you know, it, he was all over the place. And then the whole Hail Satan thing, don't even get me started. Like, I would love, I, I, I have some questions for that man. Clearly, he was deeply disturbed. But the thing is, he had friends. He had friends to, who could talk about um, how personable he was. Right, he wasn't like and, a, a loner uh, like they tend to, tend to I be. I mean, like, he was, but he wasn't. He, was, he wasn't as charismatic as, say, Ted Bundy. But, you know, he, he wasn't a complete loner like he he did have friends he did have family um you know so so and, and just uh to talk about the how how erratic his pattern was you know to the point where there was no pattern um you know i, I would like to talk about that you know some serial like like ted bundy killed women you know richard ramirez killed everybody yeah, you just know, whatever. And, and molested children and, you know, did some really horrible things. So mm -hmm. I would love to chat with him and be like, okay, where were you? Like, as far as your mindset goes, like, you know, were you hearing voices? Do you really believe that this was Satan telling you to perform these acts? You know, did you think that you were, you know, demonically possessed? You know, I, I have so many questions for him. You know, some people have said, you know, Things like, oh, you know, he, he was worshiping Satan and, you know, he was possessed by the devil and blah, blah, blah. But anyways, yeah, I would love to, to. And he's another one who, you know, women flocked to his trial. He and, doesn't. And he's not. That he's attractive. another one who had like just letters, you know, sent to him you know, when he was imprisoned and had prison girlfriends and stuff like it's just it, it it's crazy it baffles me actually i would love to have dinner with some of these women ladies I mean, why are you no no i'm talking about the women who flock oh, 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 to these oh. trials who are obsessed with these you know serial killers these these while they're imprisoned you know who are like oh i think i want to make ted bundy my next husband like who does that i would love to talk to some of people these people who are deeply disturbed i mean you know because there there has to be something um, you know, yeah, Eileen Warnos is another one, too. Mm -hmm. I, I think that, you know, she um, killed with a purpose, mm -hmm. which it doesn't justify it. But at the same time, like, it's it's a little more, 
wouldn't say understandable because <laughs> that sounds horrible, but you know, the way that she justified herself, at least it wasn't something, you know, sporadic. It wasn't, you know, all Spur over the, the place. Moment. It yeah. It, it was, passionate. you know, it was, yeah. Um, but there's another one. So uh, a, a serial killer that is a little more off the beaten path. Uh, her name is Belle Gunness. I'm not familiar. So, the woman who became known as the Lady Bluebird, Bluebeard, excuse me, immigrated to America from Norway in 1881, settling in Chicago, where she married a fellow Norwegian immigrant. The couple had four children, two of whom died young, and ran a candy store. By 1900, the store had mysteriously burned down, and Gunnis's husband was dead, although both happened under suspicious circumstances. Hmm. Uh, Gunnis was able to collect multiple insurance policy payouts, allowing her to purchase a farm in Laporte, Indiana. She quickly remarried, and just eight months later, her second husband died. Gunnis claimed that he'd received a fatal burn from scalding water and had been hit on the head by a heavy meat grinder. While an inquest was held, no proof of foul, foul play could be produced, leading to another hefty insurance payout. She then began placing newspaper advertisements in search of a third husband, with the requirement that potential suitors had to visit her Indiana farm. Several prospective suitors made the trek, only to disappear forever. Just one made it out alive after reportedly waking up to see a sinister-looking Gunnis standing over him. Well, I mean, yeah, that is, she's definitely, uh, I, I, I believe they referred to that as a black widow. Yes. Yes. I mean, she ultimately died. I believe she died in a fire. Oh, isn't that ironic? Or, okay. So what happened was here, I'll just read the rest of this little blurb. Um, Nobody knows for certain just how many people Belle Gunnis murdered, but it seems she herself met a grisly end. In February 1908, a fire devastated the farm. Amongst the wreckage were the bodies of Gunnis's remaining children and the decapitated corpse of a woman. Although officials identified the remains as Gunnis, uh, doubt quickly spread as the body was much smaller than the tall, heavyset Belle. The search for her missing head, which never turned up, led to the gruesome discovery of almost a dozen bodies, including the missing suitors and several children. Um, a former farmhand that she had fired a few years earlier uh, claim and later claimed was threatening her life, was arrested and tried for the crimes, but was only convicted of arson. Bell's true fate remains unknown, although unverified sightings continued for decades after her death. I was going to say, she's probably dead by now. I will. Oh, yes. I mean, maybe. Who knows? But I just find her to be really interesting. Well, if she was born in 1908, she'd be 113. Yeah. Who says she's human? Is she, is she Mombi? Is that she's why the head Mombie. was missing? Mombi, yes. Um, I find her fascinating, and I've been doing a little more research on her because she's not one that you hear about. You know, obviously you hear about the Dahmers and the Gaines, and I'm, I'm familiar. You know, after hearing the story, I'm familiar with her. I just right, like it's her something name. that you may have heard like a little bit in in passing and stuff. But um, 
you know, nothing is, is she's not as well known as some of these like highlight serial killers that people talk about. Uh, another cool one would be Jack the Ripper, just because if you had dinner with Jack the Ripper, you would know who Jack the Ripper was. Yes. So you'd have to have dinner with like half a dozen different people. and Like, all right, I'm Jack the Ripper. <laughs> I don't know why he's uh, a pirate. Uh, <laughs> Jack the Ripper's a pirate. Um, and last but not least, she's a, well. She's uh, a lady. She is a person, a, r- a real person of history who we've covered on this show, who has had several uh, caricatures made of herself. Uh, Elizabeth Bathory, I think, would be an friends interesting Friends call her person. Lizzie Bats. Uh, probably not. Um, not for long, anyways. <laughs> I was going to say, all of her friends are probably dead. I mean, by now they are anyways, but... <laughs> well, who knows? It's only been 400 years. But I think she would be an interesting person to have conversations with. Yeah, I think you're right. Talk about intense and whatnot. Yeah. Sorry. Right, uh, let us know who you would want to have dinner with, Is it, whether it's somebody that we discussed or whether it's somebody that uh, we didn't discuss that you think would be like, oh, man, I can't believe they didn't bring up person X. You know, uh, let us know. Throwdownthursdaypodcast at gmail.com. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to uh, discuss Starling Clarice M. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. At Strong-Willed Sports Memorabilia and more, our mission is to raise as much money and awareness for pediatric cancer research as possible through the giving away of authenticated, autographed sports memorabilia and more. All proceeds from our games will be donated to various pediatric cancer foundations, with the majority going to the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute and the Jimmy Fund. Our mission to give back began when Craig and Kara's son, William, was diagnosed with a stage 4 Wilms tumor, and his courage to fight and overcome his cancer ultimately led to the start of the hashtag Strong-Willed Movement. For more information and how to donate and support this great cause, please visit the hashtag Strong-Willed Sports Memorabilia and More Facebook group. Starling? Not yet, sir. He's past the others. The last cell. I'll be watching. You'll do fine. A killer is on the loose. Keeps them alive for three days. Then he shoots them, skins them, and dumps them. A rookie FBI agent is on his trail. He's got real physical strength, cautious, precise, and he's never impulsive. He'll never stop. But in order to track him down, she'll have to match wits. I'll help you catch him, Clary. Believe me, you don't want Hannibal Lecter inside your head. With the darkest of all minds. Just do your job and never forget what he is. Oh, he's a monster. Pure psychopath. So rare to capture one alive. So close to the way you're gonna catch him, do you realize that? 
Oh, Clarice, your problem is you need to get more fun out of life. You told me you don't spook easily. You call this easy, sir? Lefter's missing hand arm. Man's a raving maniac. Who knows what he'll do? are back. So, Ashes. Yes? Where would you like to start on the conversation about uh, Clarice M. Starling? Well, let's start at the very beginning. The M stands for Mwahaha. Probably not. You don't know. You don't know. Probably like Marie or something. It's probably like Melvin. Yes. Clarice Melvin Starling. It's a family name. You don't know. Uh, On... On uh, um, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Jeffrey's middle name was Kimberly, because it's a family name. Well, Mr. Um, oh, God, why can't I? Uh, oh, why am I? Richard Gere, his middle name is Tiffany. Yeah, see? It's, it's Sometimes it's a family name. Sometimes that's just how it works. Archer's Miller, middle name is Mallory. Yeah. Duchess. <laughs> Sterling Mallory Archer. Yeah. So, you, so, yeah, I was going to say, you start with your notes, and I'll start filling in from what I remember from the everythings. So, Clarice Starling is a fictional character and protagonist of the novels The Silence of the Lambs that came out in 1988 and Hannibal that came out in 1999, both written by Thomas Harris. So in the 1991 film adaptation of The Silence of the Lambs, uh, Clarice Starling was played by Jodie Foster, which I think was a great casting move on that part. Especially when you consider how she's described in the book. She's described as very small, pretty, uh, like everybody lusts after her, but she's kind of like aloof. And like, I think the scene in the elevator when she gets called off the uh, obstacle course to... Uh, Crawford's office and she gets into the elevator and she's just surrounded by all like these huge guys but it's not that they're huge it's that she's so tiny so yeah Ted Talley wrote the screenplay adaptation of the book and he actually suggested Jodie Foster while in the process of writing this because you know he for those reasons he thought that she would fit the role quite nicely um, but actually, Michelle Pfeiffer was up for the role, and she turned it down because Orion Pictures wasn't willing to pay the $2 million that she asked for. Good. Um, 300 applicants were also up for the role, including Meg Ryan, uh, who turned down the role because of the disturbing subject matter. Brooke Smith, who actually played Catherine Martin, read for the role of uh, Clarice Starling. And as well as uh, Nicole Kidman did as well. Yes, that I knew. I, I forgot about um, Catherine Martin's actress there. But she did get an Oscar for it. Well, I mean, so... The director agreed to meet with Foster, and he hired her only after one meeting, um, after only one meeting, because he said he could see her strength and determination for the part, and he felt that was perfect for Clarice. She was really gunning for this role. Yeah. Like, really gun. She actually wanted to buy the rights to the book. To but, make it herself. Right, to make it herself, but I believe it was Gene 
Hackman? Gene Hackman bought it. Already yeah. had. Because he was he wanted to play Hannibal, and then he kind of like was like, no, I don't think I want to play Hannibal. I, I probably Maybe a good Jack choice Crawford. on his part. Yes. Um, so right off the bat, you know, Clarice Starling being. Uh, Having Jodie Foster play Clarice Starling was a really good choice because I think she did a very good job, uh, you know, with all of the... I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. Clarice Starling is a very simple yet complex character. Yes, she's complicated, but she's straightforward. Exactly. You know, she's no frills, but she has a hell of a backstory. Mm -hmm. And that comes to light during her interviews her conversations with Hannibal Lecter. Yes. So we learn that she is in the FBI Academy, so she's not even a full-fledged FBI agent. Jack Crawford she's sent a trainee to me. Yeah, exactly. You know, she's working under Jack Crawford, and she, um, she majored in psychology and criminology in undergrad. Yeah, double major, yep. And she attended a lecture by Jack Crawford. no. Crawford came in as a guest lecturer uh, at her school at UVA. That's what I said. She attended a lecture by Jack Crawford. Well, that's different from... No, he came in to teach her class one day. He was a guest lecturer. She didn't... It's not like he was giving a lecture and she's like, oh, this looks like fun. I'm going to go to it. He came in to teach a class. That's what I was getting at. Yeah. Well, that's different from how you said it. Well, she attended, like, I attended many lectures by people who weren't actually teaching my class. Right, but it's she attended it because it was the class she was already in. Okay, so he was guest teaching her class. There he is that a, better? He was do, a cool substitute you, that day. The, yes. Uh, you know, talking about his adventures in the FBI and what he was doing and, you know, psychologically profiling people. And she was really intrigued by that, which is why she ultimately went into... uh, Behavioral science. Right. But she also grilled him pretty hard on the Bureau's civil rights record during the Hoover years. Gave her an A. A minus, actually. Um, But we're first introduced to Starling. Around the same time, we're first introduced to Hannibal Lecter. We get to see. We get to see. We get uh, to see her first. Yeah, like the movie starts off with uh, her running through the course, you know, doing the obstacles and stuff, and she gets pulled off and sent to, um, sent off to um, see Jack Crawford in the main building. Now, what most folks didn't realize is that we had already met Hannibal Lecter years earlier in the adaptation of Red Dragon called Manhunter. But it was so well. It was. It wasn't very well received, and uh, so pretty much every single character was recast. Like Scott Glenn is now playing um, Jack Crawford as opposed to Dennis Farina. Um, you know, Brian Cox was the first Hannibal Lecter, and now it's uh, Anthony Hopkins. So, and I think they made good choices because this got uh, best picture. Best Actor in a Leading Role for Hopkins. Best Actress in a Leading Role for Jodie Foster. Best Director, Jonathan Demme. Best Writing uh, Screenplay based on... Best Adapted Screenplay, essentially, Ted Talley. Best Sound. Best Film Editing. And one of the uh, Best Picture Award, the 
uh, it has three names listed under it. One of them is Ron Bozeman, which will come up later in Clarice's backstory. The other is Kenneth Utt, who was the uh, very deep-voiced attending physician at uh, Frederica Bimmel's uh, autopsy. And he's the one who's like, wrongful death. So they made a good choice to kind of uh, change the tone and, like, really give Hannibal a uh, a deep, deeper, darker, scarier presence. Like, he couldn't just have a normal jail cell similar to what um, What's-His-Face had, uh, it, Brian Cox. And, of course, Clarice wasn't in the first the first book. She was created completely for this one. No, but you bring up the fact that uh, Hannibal Lecter is absolutely terrifying. And the way that Sir Anthony Hopkins portrays him is absolutely terrifying. So Clarice Starling and Hannibal Lecter only have four scenes together. Yes. And they only touch once. Yes. And that, and, and it's just fingers brushing against each other while exchanging files. And that was when Hannibal was in the jail cell in, in Tennessee. Tennessee. When they were, when they weren't filming together, Jodie Foster, like was nowhere near Anthony Hopkins because she was absolutely terrified of him. She avoided him. Yeah, that completely. like slurping thing that he did was completely uh, off the cuff, improvised, and scared well, the shit out of her. Not, not, and and before that scene is the scene when he makes fun of her accent. Mm-hmm. That was also improvised, and her reaction is she uh, took it personally. At yeah. first, you know, so her reaction is a real reaction. And obviously they chose to to use that take, um, you know, and she was she was so offended by it. She was like, how could he do that to me? But then she, you know, hindsight was like, oh, that's what Hannibal does. That was brilliant. And then commented, like complimented him, said, hey, that was fantastic. You know, thank you for getting that genuine reaction out of me. I feel like that fits the character better. Hannibal, uh, their dynamic it's weird, like, so many times, and they talk about it a little bit in some like, of the subsequent it's like films. A, it's almost like a little cat and mouse. Well, Hannibal but... is 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 a guy who is, and this is why I find him such a fascinating character, he's so brilliant, like, he knows, like, when Jack Crawford says to her, he's like, if I sent you in there with an actual agenda, he would have known instantly, he would have toyed with you and turned to stone, because he is that good at reading people. It's almost like those people that do cold readings, like, because they can read your face. Well, and that's why, you know, their initial meeting, she is, uh, said something very inappropriate by one of the inmates. Oh yeah. See, he was already he was ready to dismiss her. He was done because she kind of sassed him and like knowing what I know of Hannibal like had they been outside of the cage and she kind of sassed him like that. He would have eaten her. He would have killed her and eaten her. He prefers to eat the rude, the free-range rude he prefers to them. But, but because of that interaction and because she was so honest and straightforward with him about what happened, you know, and she wasn't ashamed to say what happened. Oh, no, no. You were doing fine. You had been courteous and receptive to courtesy. You had established trust with the embarrassing truth about Migs. Now this ham-handed segue into your questionnaire won't do exactly what you were saying, but 
how he said it. Yes. Yeah, and because she she was kind of hokey about well, the way she said I it. I think you know their initial re- uh, interaction. She was kind of going by the book. Yeah, she was going by and what her she was textbooks going have by, taught her. You know what Jack Crawford also told her, which was to not give him any personal information at all whatsoever. Right, like just try to be as stoic and stone faced as possible. That's what she was doing. She was just doing what she was told, what she learned, and she learned real quick that Hannibal Lecter don't play that way. Yeah, and you got to remember he can see right through all that. Well, you also have to remember that she has at this point. No field experience. Well, and that's what I was going to say, too. Like, she's a student. She's not even a full-fledged agent. She is book smart at that point. Yes. She doesn't have any real... She's not streetwise. She's book smart. Right. There's a big difference between being book smart and having common sense and common sense on the job. Well, And And that comes with actual experience, yes. Right. She'd done... uh, you know, like they 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 mentioned, like they she had done internships as part of her her criteria, uh, curriculum uh, at the Reisinger Clinic. You know, so she was familiar with dealing with patients like this, but no one was able to deal with what Hannibal is because they didn't they didn't have a word for him. Like they would call him a sociopath, but he's just his his intelligence was beyond. Uh, beyond measuring like there was no way to score him on an iq test there was no way for uh for you to determine his level of sophistication um you know it's it's like saying like oh batman's a genius but it's like you can't quantify it you can't quantify what hannibal lecter is other than saying he's a monster but for whatever reason you know we see the uh Discourtesy, which is unspeakably ugly to him, uh, happened to Starling. I bit my wrist so I could die. Look at the blood! Um, only it wasn't blood. Um, you know, and she was so frazzled and caught off guard by that that when he called back to her, she ignored all of her training, everything she was told, all the protocol. He's like, don't approach the glass, don't get near the glass, don't do Because remember, she holds her credentials out in front of her at mm-hmm. arm's length. As, you know, so she's keeping as much distance between herself and the, the glass cage that he's in. Um, but at this point, she's right up against the glass. He's right up against the glass. You know, it was just a really interesting way that, you know, it's like she was so... Um, you know, like it, we were saying, like it shows that she doesn't have this experience. She's not able to be cool and calm under pressure because the first thing she does is go right to her car and cry, like which is understandable. She so, was just sexually assaulted. But he and you know, I'm kind of glad that you brought that part up. So Jodie Foster shadowed uh, an FBI agent, and I want to get her name right. So let me get to my notes here. Um, um, I want to say her name was Mary Ann Krause. Yes, Mary Ann Krause. Mm-hmm. Uh, prior to filming, Krause actually gave Foster the idea of Starling standing by her car crying because Krause told her that at times the job can be so overwhelming and you're not crying because you're sad. You're not crying because you're, you know, frustrated. It's just, it's an emotional release. It's cathartic. Exactly. It's exactly what you need to do at the time. And we always think of crying as some sort of weakness, 
like you know, don't cry about it but but in reality like you know when you've been through something and you have all of the this this pent-up emotion sometimes you just need a really good cry in order to cleanse yourself of everything that just happened reset exactly you know and and just kind of get yourself into a more because i think about how good you feel sometimes after you've cried you know when you're crying out of frustration and you know things are not going your way and you know things are just you know beyond your control and 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 it's just you know think of how good you feel sometimes when you just kind of cry it out a little bit and then you know can breathe again and kind of you know have a clearer head because you're not thinking about things that you have no control over anymore. Yeah, it's it's very similar to anyone who has experienced what they call uh, post-nut clarity, where after you, uh, it's, after you have an orgasm, you're able to think clearly because you're not all riled up with, you know, uh, thoughts of sexual frustration or whatever happens to be going on through your head. You can then think clearly because, you know, all the blood's back up in your head and you're, you're, you're thinking clearly again. It's a very similar type of thing. It's a purging of emotion, you know, through various uh, exercises. But it's the same type of thing. I know, you're giving me a weird look. Uh, okay, same type of thing in theory, but, like, oh, so the, the outcome is, this, is similar. It's not the same thing. No, but it's, it's the same in... You know, you're you're not able to think straight for whatever reason, and you're able to do something that purges whatever is you know clouding right. your mind, and then you are able to you know make better decisions, and you know think clearly and and more straightforward. So, Clarice is having these interactions with with Hannibal Lecter because she's working on this case, the Buffalo Bill case, yes. and it's just it's leading nowhere. You know, they, they're they frustrated. They don't know what to do. So they're trying to uh, see if they can have Hannibal Lecter help them put, put the pieces together. Because prior to what he uh, was incarcerated for, he had, and we see this in both Red Dragon and the TV show Hannibal with Mads Mikkelsen, uh, we get to see him, uh, you know, helping out. He's a forensic psychiatrist. Like, he's so good at what he does. And this is where the movie and the, the, the books kind of uh, run into some inconsistencies because when she does find the severed head, through his uh, clues and prompts, she finds the severed head of a man named Benjamin Raspail, who Hannibal says was a fledgling killer's first attempt at transformation. We then find out in the prequel Hannibal... I'm sorry, in the prequel, Red Dragon, that Hannibal himself had killed Benjamin Raspail and fed him to his guests uh, of the, the chamber the chamber board or whatever, the chamber music board of the, the symphony board. Symphony yes, board. yes, because Raspail was a member of the... Baltimore Philharmonic. Yes. And he was a particularly uh, not... He played some sour notes. Yeah, he wasn't as good on the flute as he could have been, and it, you know, caused some issues. Like, why he was there in the first place, but, like, they retconned it. Like, oh, no, Hannibal did it. And they make him made him look completely different. So, 
I know maybe it was just you can explain it away by saying he was just throwing a name out there because he did say seek out an old patient of mine Hester Moffat which is an anagram of the rest of me and she was able to find it in the book you find the head on a mannequin and the mannequin has a large wooden dildo where his penis would be and the first thing she thinks is maybe she's depraved like the first thing she thinks is like what is going on here? Am I crazy? Am I imagining this? Because he wants to see her succeed. Well, and the reason why he wants to see her succeed is because she's holding up her end of the bargain. She tells him stuff about her, personal stuff, in return, almost like forcing conversation. It's a quid pro quo. Like, she knows that he ha- he knows who Buffalo Bill is, and he can provide the safety of senator ruth martin's daughter catherine and he and so she is again eschewing all of her training and all the advice that she's been given because she thinks it's the right thing to do like she does that a lot it's almost like she acts on instinct yeah she versus what she's supposed to do yeah she says um You know, she says to herself, you know, I don't want to give Hannibal Lecter any information, but at the same time, otherwise we're not going to save this girl and we need to save this girl. And, you know, you find out like the whole point of Silence of the Lambs is because she's the lamb stop uh, (laughs) screaming. The lamb stop screaming. That's. that's it. That's she it. She tried to save a lamb. But we, we get her backstory. Yes, through this, you know, um, through this interaction with Hannah. This is what I've been trying. I'm trying to, I have something good about that. So we get her backstory. The fact that uh, she was raised in a small town in West Virginia by her father, who was a night marshal. When she was very young, her father was shot when responding to a robbery, and he died a month later. Um, her mother tried to keep the family together. Uh, she was able to do it for a little more than two years after his death, working as a hotel maid in the daytime and cooking at a cafe in the night. But she was ultimately unable to support the entire family. So uh, when Starling was, I believe, 10 years old, she went to live with family at a ranch. And that's where the, the sheep come in, the lambs. Um, and they would ultimately, it was a, it was a farm. And sheep they and would horses. kill, yes, and they would kill the sheep. And... It's something that tormented her. She could hear them screaming when they, you know, when when they would do it. And so she grabbed one of the lambs and ran away. With her horse, Hannah, who was blind. Yes. Uh, In an attempt to uh, just not be there and save the horse. And uh, the family found her, but ultimately decided to give her up to... uh, Lutheran orphanage in Bozeman, which is named after the the uh, one of the producers there. But it's something that really it, it it scarred her. It stuck with her. The fact that you know she was so close with her father and he died in such a a, a traumatic way, especially for a young child, and then to be shipped off to this place with you know people who are you know your your family but you don't necessarily know them very well and to be forced to witness these 
really brutal acts, especially for a young child. She uh, she blamed her dad for being stupid because he had snuck up on these two guys that were holding a TV, like they were both carrying it, because obviously it was, you know, one of those big heavy tube TVs because it, you know, was in the 70s when this happened. And they pulled a gun on him and he short shucked his shotgun, which meaning he didn't pump it all the way so it got jammed. And that's how they were able to shoot him because his gun got jammed. So they took advantage of that and shot and killed him. I mean, eventually uh, he died. You know, like you said, he hung on for a month. And, you know, we get to see a little bit more of that in uh, Hannibal after, you know, he subsequently escapes at the end of Silence of the Lambs. But that's the whole point of the the thing is she's trying to save Catherine the way she couldn't save this lamb. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, she's doing whatever she can in order to, you know, facilitate this. Like she knows Hannibal knows and he's given her all the clues she needs. She just has to put everything together. But she's a she's a fascinating character. We find out later on, uh, especially in uh, the second uh, the second book with her, uh, so Hannibal, which I mean could easily have been called Clarice, because it's really mostly about her and you know their their relationship and how he views it compared to how she views it. Um, and I know you have thoughts on that which we will absolutely get to in a oh, minute. Oh, the book? Yeah, I, I really don't like How the relationship uh, in the book version of Hannibal. I think that the film version is, is all right. I definitely prefer Silence of the Lambs and Jodie Foster's portrayal. Mm. So Jodie Foster didn't come back for Hannibal. She fought to get it made and then didn't come back for it. And there's a lot of speculation as to why she didn't return. Some say it was because of the violence, um, you know, the whole brain scene and everything. But at the same time, why would she fight to get it made then? You know, she knew See, the subject always... matter. Um, some people say that it's because she was so terrified of Anthony Hopkins during the first film that she couldn't bring herself to get back into that mindset See, I always heard it was a scheduling conflict. I mean, and it she could was trying have, to direct. It could have been that too. It could have been that too. I, I've read several different things that kind of uh, all contradict one another. So, long story short, she didn't come back. It was Julianne Moore who was cast. And fun fact: Jodie Foster actually recommended Claire Danes for the role of, uh, oh, I can of see that. Clarice Starling. Claire Danes is married to Hugh Dancy, mm. who played William Graham. Graham in the Hannibal TV series. He's not very dancy in that show, though. He's very dour yeah. and brooding. And there is, was a slew of actors up for the part. Hold on. Uh, let's see. So, Julianne Moore beat Gillian Anderson, Jennifer Aniston, Christina Applegate, Drew Barrymore, Kate Beckinsale, Clay, uh, Kate Blanchett, Sandra Bullock, Jennifer Connelly, Kristen Davis, Cameron Diaz, Shannon Doherty, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Nicole Eggert, Callista Flockhart, Bridget Fonda, Terry Hatcher, 
Helen Hunt, Angelina Jolie, Jennifer Jason Lee, Lucy Liu, Heather Locklear, Alyssa Milano, Gwyneth Paltrow, Sarah Jessica Parker, Meg Ryan, Winona Ryder, Brooke Shields, Hilary Swank, and Denise Richards for the role. Anderson fell out early uh, in the fell out of the running early on. I would have picked her because it was discovered um, that her contract to the X Files prohibited her from playing another FBI agent. Lame. Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker and Kristen Davis had uh, Hex in the City. Yeah, Sex in the City, and Callista Flockhart had to decline due to her Ally McBeal contract. I, of all those names that you read, Gillian Anderson would have been my first choice. And after that, uh, Kate Beckinsale well, and nobody um, else. So, Dana Scully, yes, is based off of Clarice Starling. And in the Hannibal TV show, Gillian Anderson plays, plays Hannibal's, Hannibal's psychiatrist. Th- yeah, Hannibal's therapist, which is just wacky. But yeah, of that list that you gave me, I would have the only like Julia Louis Dreyfus get the fuck out of here. Like I would take Andy McDowell over her. But um, I mean, there were a few I could have seen. Um, yeah. You know, Jennifer Connelly. Maybe. Um, I could have seen Kate Blanchett. No, Kate Blanchett is too. Like, if they remade Silence of the Lambs and they wanted Hannibal to be a woman, Kate Blanchett would be my pick. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, she. Oh my God, that has to happen. Like. I can't picture like I can't picture her she's too like she carries herself in a different way than Clarice Starling does. No, but I, she's I far absolutely more, get what you're saying. She's far more like elegant and refined and sophisticated. She has Starling, this confidence about her. Starling is a character who, you know, Julianne Moore was a good pick. Kate Beckinsale I could see. Um but like you know, we see her you know, through the the books and through the films, like she's almost tomboyish in how she acts around certain people. Like she's very confident. Like, um, you know, she knows her place. She's stoic at times. That's why, like Julia Louis Dreyfus, was well, right out the window for me. In the films, uh, the television series Hannibal, that had Mads Mikkelsen, that was just amazing. That was unfortunately canceled. I hope they Way bring that before back. it needed They're to talking be. about bringing King of the Hill back. They should bring Hannibal back first. Um, the next season, so obviously they hadn't written anything yet, but they were stor- storyboarding the next season, and they were talking about getting into Silence of the Lambs territory, mm. uh, bringing in Clarice Starling, and they wanted Elliot Page to play <sighs> Clarice Starling. No. Which I, I I could see, I I could see it. I mean, I, kind of because we were talking about this with uh, with Clarice, Sarah Breeder, and I had said I said Sarah Breeder looks like Ellen Page, and you're like, no, Elliot. I'm like, no, she looks like Ellen Page, like you know from some of the uh, other you know the, her earlier work when she was younger, and now you know Elliot Page. Yeah, I could see, you know, they have a very similar facial structure. You know, they they look. Um, I thought her name was Rebecca. I thought it was Sarah. Hold on. 
looking uh, it up. Yeah, please do, because I might be wrong. Rebecca Breeds. Rebecca Breeds. How about Sarah Breeder? I was close. Wow. Wow. Oh, I'm also drinking. I have a whole bottle of wine to myself tonight, so... Um, yeah, sorry, I was way off on... Well, not way, but still fairly off. Um, so Rebecca Breeds, sorry. Um, she does a, a, a great job. And yeah, I, I agree. Um, I don't think at the... T- oh, maybe at the time. I mean, it was what, like 10 years ago they were doing that? I, I think at the time, Ellen Page might have been close to the look. Okay, so... I'm just going to cut you off. No Ellen Page. Elliot Page. Right, but at that time... Elliot Page. And it's him or they. Yeah, I, I, I know. I'm just saying... I'm just I'm just saying... Like, I'm, I'm talking about past tense. Present tense, he is Elliot Page. Yes, I understand that. But even when you speak of them in past tense... No, I, I, I'm just trying to say, like, at the time, that's not who they were looking for. They were looking for a Correct. Pre, uh, pre-transition. That's what I'm, that's all I'm trying to say. Um, but I think that would have been interesting. I, I almost would have gone with, like, Catherine Isabel, but they used her for a different... Yeah, Margot. Yeah. The they sister. Used, yes, they used her for a totally different, uh, a different character. But I, I, I don't know if if I'm casting. I think the girl that they have now, uh, the young lady, is 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 excellent. Like she has the voice, she has the the facial features. I think she's all right. I mean, I'm trying not to compare her portrayal to other portrayals. Like I said, I think Jodie Foster knocked it out of the park and when I think of Clarice Starling that's who mm-hmm. I think of I think Julianne Moore did a, a pretty good job too um, you know not as good as Jodie Foster but I also think the film Hannibal isn't as good as the source material the isn't the, as good either lamps. well and, and so speaking of the source material I'm really glad that they decide to uh, decided to stray from the source material um, especially as far as the ending of Hannibal goes. So, you know, uh, Clarice's storyline, you know, in Hannibal, she's a full-fledged FBI agent. Um, her career has been held back by Paul Credler because he's just an asshole and a misogynist. And, and he also... Was and, and part I think of he's jealous of the accolades that she's received because uh, he was part of the team that was in the wrong place trying to get uh, Buffalo Bill while she was in the right place, uh, ultimately killing him and saving Catherine Martin. Like, and she got all the accolades that he wanted because he wanted the advancement. In in the uh, in the uh, uh, agency, the bureau. That's what I meant. Yeah. So she's ultimately removed from active duty because of uh, a situation that happens. Yeah, the Avelda Drumgo shooting because there was a baby involved. And Krenler pretty much takes out his frustration on her. 
Yeah, and he's yeah he's definitely very um, like in the book they, they talk about um, like you get a little bit of like his point of view, and you know normally in a situation like hers, he would suggest that you know she got to where she was by sleeping around, but nobody would believe that because she is just like the ultimate professional and like nobody knows anything about her personally and i think that's because of except for hannibal i was gonna say because of the situation with hannibal uh so she receives a very supportive letter from hannibal lecter Mm -hmm. who you know he's currently residing in i believe florence italy yes and uh living under a a pseudoname dr phil and dr phil fell (laughs) and she receives a a letter from him so he had been keeping tabs on her you know just uh, as you do i would say he had a bond with her and he just you know he didn't need to be near her but he just wanted to make sure she was doing all right yeah, and you know, and and he found out that she wasn't, and so he, you know, sent her a letter of correspondence, just, you know, stating his support for her, which is what got her put back on the case and out of the purgatory in which she had found herself, because everybody knew that if there was anyone that was going to catch Hannibal, it was her. It was her, you know, and then you had the whole plot line going on with Krendler and and Mason Verger, and you know they were setting her up to fail. So they could um, draw Hannibal out. There's that great line. Gary Oldman says it in the movie. Uh, when the you know the fox hears the rabbit scream, he comes running, but not to help. You know, like, and that's where they were kind of. If they put Clarice in enough stress and distress and in such a vulnerable position, they figured it would draw Hannibal out of hiding. And he would come to her aid, you know. But they severely misjudged the relationship between the two of them because it was like, well, um, you know, I think he wants to fuck her and eat her and not necessarily in that order. And, you know. Yeah, other people didn't realize that there's a, a code to Hannibal Lecter. And Clarice Starling was not afraid of Hannibal because she did not fit into the box. That well, it, they also looked at it from a very uh, like a thousand yard view. Like they, none of them got close to. Well, with the exception of Mason Verger, who was fed his own nose. Right. Um, none of them got close enough to Hannibal to know who he is and know what his motivations might be. But their relationship was based off of a mutual respect for each other. And because Hannibal only eats the rude, uh, he didn't view Clarice in that way. He viewed her as a peer. And she she did, you know, say that, you know, it's like, aren't you worried that he's going to come after you? And, you know, it's like, no, because, you know, he explained that to me. But, you know... Which is why, like, he does the, occupy um, her thoughts. The attendant, uh, Barney, uh, was never afraid of him. Barney and 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 Hannibal would have deep philosophical conversations after hours, and he always treated him with respect. Yes, which is why he was never worried that 
Hannibal would come after him because he always treated him with respect. You know, he did what he had to do, you know, within the rules, within the confines of the rules. Like, okay, you know. He did his job. Right. He did his job and he did his job to the, and, and that's in the uh, the first book. You know, that's why he wants to get transferred to Tennessee because he's like, okay, like they're going to transfer me. Barney won't be there. Like that was one of his first thoughts. Mm-hmm. Barney won't be there. I can get away with. You know, I I have a handcuff key that I have had for years at this point that I've managed to keep hidden. I'll be able to use it because they won't use the same type of restraints. They won't know all the procedures and the rules. Like, Hannibal may not have liked being uh, incarcerated, but he understood that Barney was just doing his job. It wasn't anything personal against him. And here's the thing, like... Yeah, I know we're not talking about Hannibal, but, you know, uh, Barney's interactions with Hannibal made Hannibal stay a little more enjoyable. Just like Clarice's interactions with Hannibal made his stay a little more enjoyable. It gave him something to think about. It, you know, uh, almost like brain teasers, you know, got him out of uh, his own head. Yes, for and a bit. He was good about doing that, and the second, the second movie, uh, second book. I'm sorry, is all about how Hannibal has this extensive, what he calls his memory palace, where he can kind of escape the uh, mundanity of everyday life, and he can wander through the halls and like, oh, here's this, you know, marble sculpture, and you know, here's this elaborate staircase that leads up to this library, and because he had like an almost eidetic memory. Uh, he would, he could imagine himself, you know, in these, uh, in these places and, you know, reading these books that he had read because they were essentially memorized, you know, and, you know, at the end of the book, you know, he, he starts to find Clarice in his memory palace. He finds her in rooms here and there and she's building her own and, it's it's weird and complicated, and you have to read the book to fully grasp what he's talking about and what it means. But it's a place he goes. Like there's the uh, the scene where Mason's Verger Mason Verger's guys have him, and he gets a uh, like cattle prod to the face, and in order to relieve the pain, he imagines that he is pressing his face against the marble flank of a sculpture of Venus. Like, that's literally what he does, and that's how he escapes from having this pain of, you know, this torture. You know, he also has this crazy control. His heart rate never goes above 85 beats per minute. Uh, yes, his heartbeat stays... Like, he's able to stay completely regulated. He's a a, a very interesting person. Even when he swallowed her tongue. But... One thing I do enjoy about the film version of Hannibal as opposed to the book version of Hannibal is the relationship, the the ultimate relationship, the ending between Clarice Starling and Hannibal. Now, I haven't read the book, but I do know what happens. And I don't like to think of their relationship in that way. So in the film version, uh, Clarice handcuffs... Hannibal to herself to herself and because he locks her ponytail in the fridge door and breaks the handle off so he can't so she can't get him mm-hmm. 
and then she handcuffs her hand her right hand to his right hand uh to which he then cuts his hand off yes but he is ambidextrous and uh actually has six fingers on on each hand um but that was uh that was after feeding Krendler his own brain yes uh in the in the movie she gets absolutely horrified by this but in the book she has undergone some significant uh mental conditioning yeah i would say it's it's not necessarily brainwashing but there are a lot of psychotropic drugs involved and he's uh, attempting to dislodge her past childhood trauma almost like fix her he literally goes and exhumes her father's body so he can wear the outfit he was buried in and is sitting there. She she explained uh, he has a, a knife with a broken tip, so it's that's squared off, and he's peeling an orange because you know scent is one of the most uh, strongest senses tied mm-hmm. to memory, and she's on all kinds of fucking drugs, and you know he essentially cosplays as her father. You know he's just hidden in the shadow enough and like does a southern accent. And is able to kind of exercise this trauma out of her head, and she's able to truly embrace her real self. And even uh, there's a there's a line that Paul Krendler, uh, Ray Liotta, says as Paul Krendler, and somebody's like, "Oh, you always sounded like you know a corn pone country pussy to me." And you know while they're eating his brain, and he says. Uh, she says, see if I sound like Oliver Twist when I ask for more. And Hannibal, who is always very stoic and never shows his emotions, uh, in the book it says, uh, Hannibal could scarcely contain his glee. I just want to point this out to people at home who are listening to this. I do not have a copy of the book in front of me, and I have not read these books for about 15 years. This is all straight from memory of how many times I read these books and how interesting I find these characters that I can still remember specific lines from the book that kind of stand out. So there's a whole lot that goes on between them, you know, in this, uh, in this film and book. And the book has another plot point that you were talking about. Yeah. So, uh, Hannibal Lecter has this dead sister, Misha, and in the process of trying to, let's just say. How did she die? Well, okay. so she died being cannibalized by Nazis. Kind of. In World War One, his parents were very, very rich. And, you know, the war was coming to them. And so they uh, tried to escape to a smaller house because they knew they were going to get robbed and their house was just going to get ransacked through because I don't believe it was German soldiers. I believe it was Russian soldiers who had teamed up with the Germans at this point because this is World War One, not World War Two. Mm-hmm. So they weren't Nazis at that point. Okay, but, but, but still. Um... But they were Eastern European and they were kind of like, they were war criminals and they had... Uh, they gone. They had gone to this little cabin because they had deserted their army, their their uh, regiment, and they found Hannibal's mom, Hannibal's dad, I think their maid or one of their servants, and 
Hannibal and his younger sister, Misha, who had purple eyes. Hannibal himself had maroon eyes, but she had purple eyes, and he loved her purple eyes, and he would, you know, bring her eggplants because she loved eggplants because they were purple like her eyes. Like, that was one of the things, and he loved her more than anything else in the world. And after the deer meat had run out and it was a particularly harsh winter in Eastern Europe, uh, and they were in the very small cabin. They uh, grabbed both the kids, tried to see who had more meat on their bones. Turned out it was Misha, and they were pulling her away. There had been other kids there, too. Mm-hmm. And they were pulling her away, and he tried to fight them, and they broke his arm. And a few days later, and I remember this line from the book as well, he saw her baby teeth in the stool pit. That's how he remembered. That was the last time he saw his sister. So, yeah, so that's kind of the backstory. It's it's well, a little and, more and intense than... That's the reason why Hannibal cannibalizes people. It's to it. help him deal with that trauma of his childhood. Yeah, he, he had, you know, he had a rough, a very rough, but he also believes himself to be descended... Uh, from the Marquis de Sade. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got uh, a lot of that scary European history in his blood. So, in the book, he was trying to take advantage of this mental hot wiring of Clarice and thought maybe if he planted some of his sister's personality in her, that she could take the place of his sister and kind of like he could he could hotwire her to become Misha. Yeah, he was essentially trying to rewire her brain through the psychotropic drugs and getting rid of all the, the baggage she had for her father. Like there's a whole scene in the book where he's hanging out at Paul Krendler's house watching A Brief History of Time, the documentary based on the book by Stephen Hawking, and about how, like, you know, the theory of relativity and all this shit like that, and, you know, Thomas Harris says in the book, well, none of us are in, you know, Mr. Hawking's, you know, uh, you know, uh, stratosphere. I forget the exact word, but, you know, in his stratosphere, you know, Hannibal could follow along fairly well because he's a fucking super genius. Mm-hmm. And... He determined through math that he could have his sister be reborn in Clarice and like have this, but it's weird because because well that because then Clarice presents herself to him in a sexual way, and she says to him, uh, and I believe that I, I the words they used are. She exposed her coral and cream. Uh, that's that's the word they used. She said, uh, did you ever refuse the breast so that Misha could, could eat? And he said, I don't know. I might have. And she said, she pulls down the strap of her dress and takes a drop of her wine and puts it on her nipple and says, don't refuse this. And Hannibal's like, well... Okay, and there's a line that follows uh, after that, that their relationship is built on the penetration of Clarice Starling, 
which she, I think the word was like, enthusiastically encourages. Now, Hannibal was alive in World War One. She's like, oh, she turns 33 because he gets her a bottle of Chateau d'Iquem. Uh, I'm probably mispronouncing that from the year of her birth, because that was one of the things Hannibal would do for people. He would get them uh, bottles of expensive uh, wines and champagnes and liquors from the year of their birth. I want a friend like that. Well, he bought it for her, and like, because there's a line that's like, you know, and Clarice Starling, who in a few days would be as old as Christ. So she was 33 at the time of Hannibal. He was old. Twice that easy? Because that's supposed to take place in the 90s. That would make him in his 70s? Because World War One started, what, 1914? It's just weird. I don't like thinking of their relationship like that. So, you know, they end up running off together. She dyes her hair. And they live in luxury. Well, Hannibal I mean, like, always I hate... lived in luxury. Well, I was saying, like, and I, I don't hate that part, but... I just, I, I think that it, the ending of Hannibal, A, obviously, is is so not what Clarice Starling would do, but obviously, you know, they rectify that by saying, oh, she was on all these psychedelic drugs and she was brainwashed or whatever. Um, I don't know. I just, I don't like to think of their relationship like that. I like to think of it based off of this mutual respect and moral codes. Yeah. I don't I didn't like that ending. It was one you of know, the weakest endings. Almost like um a teacher student type of relationship. Yeah. Um I I like I like that. I like to think of them in that particular way versus, you know, what we see uh or what the what the book presents so now we see her in the cbs television series clarice and we're gonna get a little spoilery so if you haven't seen it and you're interested in watching it just you know go to the third half of this uh third third half well third half third part yeah just skip ahead from here to after the break um so we, we see her in Clarice. This is after the events of Buffalo Bill and Hannibal Lecter and everything. So obviously this is before the events of Hannibal. Um, she's an FBI agent. She's coming into her own. But she's plagued by the traumas of her past. Now, her past including, you know, her childhood, mm-hmm. but the past including everything that went ha- went down with Buffalo Bill. And she is in psychotherapy, you know, she's in therapy. Uh, to prove that she can be a valuable asset. Right. She's well, not well, she's encumbered. in... Um, oh, God, Violent Criminal Apprehension what's Program. I'm searching for? Like, mandatory. Mandatory therapy. Oh, I thought you meant, like, her... No, no, Ooh. I wasn't thinking of the actual name. I was. She's in mandatory therapy, much to her chagrin. Yes. Because she doesn't want to be there, but she has to be there in order to continue to do her job. And she's also and a better the, psychiatrist than the guy who's trying to reach right. her. She's taking her own thoughts and turning them around to tell the guy what he wants to hear. 
Yeah, and it's not helping her, so she's she ends up like, okay, I need to get somebody else uh, who knows more than you do because I know more than you do, and I need somebody better. And it's 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 her dealing with this new team, you know, and and Paul Krendler is there, played by Michael Cudlitz, and you know, there's definitely some tension between the two of them. Yes, you know, not uh, it's not laced with a lot of misogyny but definitely some jealousy he's he's jealous of the attention that she received yeah and there's definitely um like her whole thing like he had to work hard and ruth martin who was the senator from tennessee whose daughter she saved from buffalo bill which is also like a uh, an ongoing plot point how she has the dog precious and she will not leave her room no matter what. And she has thinned out incredibly. Yeah, she works because out. Because she will no longer, yeah. it's, it's She's know. not going to be taken because the, he wanted big girls and she's not going to be a big girl. And um, Ruth Martin has been appointed uh, as the attorney general. And she puts together the VICAP program, the Violent Criminal Apprehension Program. And uh, which you saw... A little bit of at the beginning of Silence of the Lambs, the um, the questionnaire that she gives Hannibal is part of the VICAP program. So they're just kind of expanding upon that a little bit. And she uh, she handpicks Starling because there's a string of murders that seem like it's a serial killing. And the first thing Starling says is this isn't a serial murder because X, Y, and Z. And Krendler's like, no, it is. And Ruth Martin is like, no, it has to be because we need to have funding. And like, so everybody's trying to push back against Starling because, you know, oh, you're only here because you got lucky once. You're only here because she picked you, you know, and now we have to make sure that we're, we're doing this. You were brought in for one specific purpose to say that this was a serial murder. And there's a whole lot of stuff going on that, uh, she's she's kind of being pulled a whole bunch of different ways and uh, this is the first time that we are seeing Clarice in a situation where there's no there's no source material for this you know much the same way that we had we had a bit of a guide for Hannibal for that series you know because all the characters were already there all of the uh, you know the the certain steps of things that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like they use a lot of lines from the books and, you know, a lot of those characters are there as well already. But we don't have anything, any frame of reference for this. We don't know who uh, who these people are, aside from Krendler. But again, it's the third different actor to play Krendler. Um you know, we have Cal Penn's character. We have the uh, the other couple of guys, the sniper, whose name is escaping me. Uh, and then the older guy that's there. Because this is taking place in, like, 93, 94. You know, so a couple of years after. Uh, Ardelia Mapp is still there. Her and Starling are still very good friends. But this is the first time we're seeing all about who Starling is. And we did get to see a little bit of these flashbacks in Silence of the Lambs. You know, and, you know, the film and the the books. And we got to see a little bit of this in the book for Hannibal. Uh, We didn't see too much of it in the movie. They cut that entire thing out because 
it was just kind of convoluted. Like he's trying to replace his sister with her, but they're having a romantic relationship. Yeah. So that was a good choice to take that out. Where, yeah, we're definitely getting a lot more backstory on Clarice and who she is. You know, we did get obviously a little bit of her backstory in Silence of the Lambs during her uh, conversations with Hannibal Lecter. Uh, But we didn't get, so actually, and I can't remember if I mentioned this or not. Um, the the scene between the two of them, you know, almost like her monologue towards him about the lambs and everything. Uh, they were going to go shoot a flashback scene on location in Montana with, you know, somebody playing young Clarice and, you know, doing so they could do uh, back and forth between the two. But they were feeling uh, filming the dialogue first while they had everyone there. And then, you know, the Montana scene was going to be shot after. Uh Everyone was so impressed with the way that the line, like the back and forth, the way that the lines were delivered and everything that the director was like, well, I guess we don't have to go to Montana. (laughs) They just thought it, it didn't make sense at that point because, you know, she was able to deliver so much as far as emotion and story. And it really establish the relationship between the two characters in that moment yeah um you know and 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 what he said to her and everything like it it, going back and forth uh with all of these background shots with all of these you know scenes it it, i feel like it would have cheapened that scene yeah because you know you get to see a little bit of her you know and this is where i think jodie foster really shines in that scene where you can almost see her like she's not looking at Hannibal anymore she's recalling the memories and reliving them and he mm-hmm. even has that line like you must be quite something to know in personal life you know like you know I think that is when he's really beginning to respect her more and like really beginning to like have this I don't want to call it an obsession even though it kind of is um this admiration or adoration for her like it's it's hard to explain but she's she's definitely uh, with her giving that you know telling him that story and with her honest and vulnerable delivery um it really like he knew everything that he needed to know about her yeah, it wasn't even about the lamb screaming. It was about her opening up and offering her vulnerabilities to him. And he was able to piece together, okay, this is why she's doing what she's doing. This is why she's, you know, she's chosen this career path. This is why, you know, she wants to she wants to save all the lambs from she's, screaming. She's doing it for noble reasons, not for selfish reasons like she doesn't care about advancement she's doing this because it's personal to her right like it's not a paycheck it's not a headline in the television series clarice we're physically seeing these you know flashbacks we're seeing her with her dad we're seeing you know little bits and pieces that pertain we're we're seeing these yeah we um, see young clarice having conversations as old, like, she has all the knowledge of Clarice as an adult, but she's envisioning herself as a child. 
like, oh, you're driving my my old Pinto, you know, having conversations with her dad. Yeah. You know, like, she's just, uh, she's reverted. And And that's kind of what is mentally getting her through some of these situations that she's in. Because she keeps imagining swarms of death head moths. Yeah. She so hallucinates them everywhere. She, uh, we don't know too, too much because we're only a few episodes into the first season of Clarice. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, there's there's no subject matter that this is based on. It could go anywhere to tie up the ends between Silence of the Lambs and and Hannibal. The only thing you know? we know is that she won't die. Uh, yeah, but we yeah we don't know exactly what's going to happen. She won't She's... die. Ardelia won't die, and Crendler won't die. But that doesn't mean anything about anybody else in the movie. Well, and it also show. doesn't mean anything about uh, the situations they're going to be put in. They may not die, but they could undergo a serious amount of torture. She was definitely in uh, in one of the later episodes that we just watched because we're pretty much caught up. Because I think there's like no, five we, six we are, episodes. Yeah, we're, we are caught up. We're... Um, she goes through a pretty traumatic thing, but she uses her like this is where her naivete is gone. Like how we saw her with Hannibal is not how she is now. She is a changed person. And I think that has a lot to do with her trauma that she's gone through mm -hmm. because she uses every tool in her tool belt to get out of certain situations. And, you know, seeing her work with her team you know, seeing her have to rely on other people, even though she wants to. She pretty much wants to work alone, you know, and she gets a lot accomplished alone. But it's the it's the team that ultimately pull, pulls her out of some of these situations. You know, her learning to work as a team, her learning to, you know, deal with everything that she's been through the bureaucracy and, and, and the politics and, right you know there there's that and then there's you know shit the last episode that she was just you know or mm -hmm. I should say the, the last little bit of storyline that just happened to her like that's gonna fuck her up even more I mean, fuck me up you know being put in a medically induced coma yeah and you know by the hands of some psycho who thinks she's doing like, like working for someone like this is where the storyline gets a little because you know we're watching it in real time so we don't know the whole story yet we're you know finding it out as it goes yeah uh you know learning who the the, the main person is with all of these little people working for him and it's it's a whole thing yeah we still but, don't know who the main the big bad is she saw him and like daddy you gonna help me and he bashed her face in with a phone so I take that as a no. Oh, daddy, just say it's for me. But I, I think that, you know, they have many different directions that they could go as far as the television show. And I think that as long as they stay true to the... The, like, source like the, material. The, the heart of the character, not so much the source material. Well, like the source like, material which no... gave you the background of right. who Clarice like, is, is if what I mean. They, as long as they... You know, we've seen a couple of different portrayals of Clarice Starling, you know, that have kind of mapped out her personality on a couple of different ends of the spectrum. Yeah. You know, so as long as they stay within that spectrum of who this character is, 
I as long as they're true to her. Think, yeah, I, I think that you know it'll be okay. I mean, I don't love the television series, but I'm intrigued enough by it to continue watching it. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it's like I was very uh, interested in that last little bit of storyline. And moving forward. It's not as compelling as Hannibal because she's not as compelling a character. But I think that's because we don't know as much about her. And things, you know, there's really only two movies with her. But there's, you know, a five movies with yeah, Hannibal. Say, there's a lot of Five material. movies, four books, and a TV series You know, and, focusing and we don't on even know if we're going to. I mean, they've alluded in flashbacks to, you know, the whole Buffalo Bill thing. We and do stuff, see Buffalo Bill several but we times. we have not had any mentions of Hannibal Lecter at all. No. And uh, fun fact, uh, the dog who played Precious was actually named Darla and appeared in other movies. Darla? So I think that's a pretty good place to uh, kind of take a break. Um, if you guys have any thoughts out there listening to it, anything that you know maybe you think we missed or you know you disagree, oh, please let us know. Like you know, we're we're always down to uh, have conversations with folks. Uh, Throw it on Thursday podcast. We promise we won't eat you. Yes. Unless you're very delicious. Throw down Thursday podcast at gmail dot com. Or extremely rude. Yes, free range rude. Um, or you know, let us know in the uh, in the Facebook group and 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 whatnot. But uh, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back. We're gonna wrap up. We're gonna give you some battle results for two battles worth of battle results. And uh, Ashes has a wine to talk about, and uh, she's been drinking it the whole time, so she's uh, it's very fresh in her memory. It's not from the year she was born. I ate though. his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. All right, that's just as good as every <laughs> one of your other, uh, every other that one is, of your... That is so Hannibal Lecter. Yes. Hey, look at me. I'm Hannibal Lecter. Ooh, kidney beans. All right. Slurpy slurp. We'll be right back. Greetings, weary adventurer. Do you have a taste for the exotic? Do regular snacks no longer provide the thrill ye seek? Would ye rather eat a cod piece than another boring candy bar? Then it's time for ye to sink your teeth into Mythical Meats Exotic Game Sticks. Mythical Meats offers a wide variety of exotic flavors based on creatures of legend to give ye a snack experience of epic proportions. Like it hot? Try the Spicy Creatures Sample Pack. Featuring dragon, chupacabra, and werewolf. More in the mood for something a bit milder? Try the Creatures of the Sky sample pack with Pegasus, Griffin, and Phoenix. Can't decide on which one you want? Why not try the Exotic Flavor sample pack? Featuring all ten flavors so you can find your favorite. Go to mythicalmeats.com to see the full selection of flavors and place your order. All orders over $49 get free two-day shipping. Mythical Meats Exotic Game Snack Sticks. So good, they're legendary. Shark Bites, Shark Bites Podcast. It's the greatest show in history. From the... Dorkening Network, 
hosted by a nerd who's named Patsy. From movie reviews to tips on surviving the coronavirus, Shark Bites has it all. Follow us on Facebook and suggest topics at sharkbitespod at gmail.com. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Uh, I don't want to impose, and it's perfectly fine if you don't want to, but if you would mind doing a promo for us. Fuck no. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Hi, I'm Adam Green, the director of The Hatchet Films and the star of Holliston, and you are listening to Throwdown Thursday. Dr. Lecter, my name is Clarice Starling. May I speak with you? You're one of Jack Crawford's, aren't you? I am, yes. May I see your credentials? Certainly. Closer, please. Closer. And we are back. Uh, so, yeah, obviously, in between breaks, we played some uh, Clarice stuff and some Silence of the Lamb stuff because, you know, that's the that's the name of the game. So um, we have some battle results for you. We have two weeks' worth of battles. I was going to say, we don't have just one week's worth of battle results. Oh, no. We have two weeks' worth of battle results. So brace it's yourself, It's time for kids. two weeks' worth of battles. <laughs> so two weeks ago on our episode where we talked about Project Alice from the Resident Evil franchise. Project Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Uh, with the absolutely lovely, lovely Colleen from Amalgamania. Uh, we threw down the Battle of the Badass Broads. Which femme fatale has what it takes to be the last woman standing to KO? Sandbox is the Matrix training construct. So you could choose from... Project, Alice. Yeah. Uh, Sans Powers from Resident Evil. Furiosa from Mad Max Fury Road. Sarah Connor from Terminator. Or Ellen Ripley from Alien. And I'm kind of surprised by these results. Kind of not surprised by these results. Uh, Ellen Ripley. I'm not surprised. I'm rewatching Aliens. I, I watched, started yesterday because Yafet Kodo died. So Tuesday, because we're recording this Wednesday. Uh, and I'm, I started Alien 4 tonight. So, yeah, she's super badass, especially Ripley 8. But, you know, I I voted for Alice because even without her powers, she has all of this training, like a lot of training. And and she's she's quick to think on her feet. So does Sarah. Sarah Connor took down a super advanced Terminator or helped take down a super advanced Terminator like in her 60s. Like, I mean, here's the thing. There's really no wrong answer. No, every one of these is right. Because they're all so deserving of a vote. So, uh, but yeah. I'd like to see them all team up. Right? Like a a female version of the Expendables? Yes. I would love to see that. Yeah. Um, Especially right now, all of these women as they are. Oh, yeah. yeah. Badass in their like 
you know, well, I think Mila Jovovich is in her 40s. and Yeah, she's only a few uh, years Charlize older than me. Charlize Theron is in her uh, 40s. 40s as well. Um, you know, but like, you know, badass, you know, women in their 40s, 50s, 60s. Throw some young kids in there. Sophia Butella, Chloe Grace Moritz. Oh, yeah. That would be cool. Okay, make that ha- Somebody make that happen, please. Mm-hmm. Make that happen. Because, yeah, we so, need that. Well, who would it be? Just, you know, real quick, who would it be? So it would be uh, Sigourney Weaver, Linda Hamilton. Uh, Charlize Theron. Charlize Theron, Sophia Botella. Mila Jovovich. Mila Jovovich. Kate Beckinsale. Mm. Uh, Selma Hayek. Um, I mean, you could throw a little Scar Joe in there. Yeah, Scarlett Johansson would be good. Um, oh, there was one I just had in my head, and I totally just lost her. Um. Oh, because we'd also need bad oh, guys. Deny Greer. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, who else? Did, oh, there was somebody Let else. See. Hillary uh, Swank. Okay. Next Karate Kid and uh, Million Dollar Baby. Okay, I mean I could see that. Um. Oh my goodness. Ah, uh, I can't think of her name. Um. Michelle Yeoh. I mean her. Ming Na um, Wen. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because I started thinking about like martial arts, like uh, Zi Zhang, Ming Na Wen, uh, Michelle Yeoh, who is like the only person that Jackie Chan trusted to do stunts. Um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Michelle Yeoh. Okay. Yeah. And Zi Zhang, who was also in Godzilla. Yes. She did the or King of the Monsters. She was the uh, the twins. The twins. Yeah. Yes. She was also in. Um, couple other things too like she's super badass like she's she's awesome yeah um, let, let, let somebody somebody make this happen because i would watch the fuck out of that yeah yeah um and then uh and then last week yeah. we threw down the battle of the magic mavens you didn't think you were the only magical girl in town did you no muscle just magic Last Witch Standing, of course, that was along with our uh, Agatha Harkness episode from last week. It was Agatha all along. Um, Let's see. The Sandbox is Timmy Turner's birthday party. Yes, that Timmy Turner minus Cosmo and Wanda. Special guest referee, Stevie Nicks. You could choose from (gasps) Agatha Harkness, of course. Zatanna Zatara. Raven from Teen Titans. That's so Raven. Or Morgan Le Fay. And no surprise here, Agatha Harkness. Really? Yeah. I think I voted for Zatanna. That's who I that's who I went with. Um I think I went with Agatha just because she has the ability to have lots and lots of powers. Feed <laughs> off of other people's powers and turn them against them. So yeah, but there's always that, you know, that that way of reversing things and shooting it back at you, and I don't know. Uh, but yeah, that's I mean, again, that's one that you really can't go wrong. So. And we are currently working on a very epic battle for our next episode. And uh, speaking of our next episode, why don't we talk about it for a moment? Yes, next episode, uh, we are going to be talking about. Uh, it's going to be a live show that we do on Saturday, and then we're going to record it for posterity, of course, because not everyone's going to be around on Saturday. 
we are going to have a cavalcade of guests, very similar to our uh, group of folks that we had on for um, the Godzilla trailer show. Yeah, the prediction uh, show. The Godzilla prediction show. Uh, we are going Which to. comes out in a couple weeks. I'm two days so before my birthday. Guys, guys, okay. So we're going to get sushi and watch Godzilla. We're going to get a Godzilla roll. How perfect is that? Yeah, there's a place so down excited. the street from us that does a. Not only do they do a Godzilla roll. Down they, the street, as in like 20 minutes away. It's like 10 minutes down the road. It's like 15 minutes at least. It's like if there's four no minutes. traffic. Uh, not only do they have the Godzilla role, but they also have a very uh, another very appropriate the Pink Lady. So, uh, and we haven't gone there in a long time. La- I remember the last time we went there was like years ago. It's been way too long, but we're gonna go because Uncle Joe sent my birthday money. So <laughs> we're 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 able to uh, we're, gonna, we're able to we're afford kick it. Off, kick off uh, Patsy's birthday 40th weekend birthday weekend a little early with some Godzilla and some Snooshy. I'm, I'm hoping that uh, I can find a good like sound bar to watch that movie. So I want to get like a nice little sound bar and we can have like the theatre the theatre experience. Uh, so I did pre-order so. I did pre-order a bunch of the uh, uh, Godzilla versus Kong Funkos today. Um, I was only able to get three of the, like, eight that they had because all the Kong ones were sold out and all the 10-inch ones were well, sold it's, out. it's weird because some places are still, um, they're available for pre-order. They're not out Yeah, yet. that's, I, I pre-ordered it from uh, Horror Merch, I think it well, was. Well, check a couple of other places because, check out Hot Topic. Hot Topic. Uh, but anyways, next week we are watching the, well, next week as in in a couple of days, uh, we're watching the Snyder Cut of Justice League and we are going to talk about it. We're going to have, uh, we're going to have uh, Leo. Leo's coming back. Obviously we can't do the Snyder Cut without Jess Snyder. Uh, we're going to have uh, Brandon, who is a huge Superman guy. We're going to have uh, Steven from Super Retro Throwback Reviews. I think we might throw a couple other people in there as well. Nicholas Cage might be joining us. Whoa, oh, I'm he, Superman. He may or may not be joining us. Fun fact, uh, Nicholas Cage's son is named Jor-El. Kal-El? Kal-El. Jor-El. He would be Jor-El in that situation because Jor-El was Superman's dad. Well, fun fact, Nicholas Cage's real name is ac- actually Nicholas Coppola. That's correct. He changed it to Cage, uh, A, because he's a huge fan of comic books and the comic book uh, Luke Cage. Um, But he didn't want to be completely affiliated with his family. He wanted to make it in Hollywood on his own. Yeah, uh, because, you know, Francis Ford Coppola is known for uh, a small franchise, independent, uh, called The Godfather. And wines. And also wines, yes. He has his own winery. And And it was some pretty good wines. You know, you got Sofia Coppola, who is also a, a talented director and actor in mm-hmm. her own right. So he wanted to uh, kind of, and if you listen to our uh, Sweet Christmas, it's Michael Ravenshadow episode, I think, three? It was a long time ago. It From was five years ago? A long time ago. Uh, uh, you would know that because that's where we learned it. Almost 250 episodes ago. Two hundred. Um, I would say 240 episodes ago, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, it's, it's, it's been a while. 240 but, weeks. Yeah. <laughs> it's 
still at it. Um, still here. So yeah, that's going to be a really interesting conversation. So you know, being able to compare and contrast. Hopefully, there's some compare and contrast between what we got originally and what is now. What you know, what could have been, what is now. Um, I, yeah, I, I think it'll just be. I think it'll be interesting to see. You know, what it, what it is exactly. Yeah, and I just recently watched uh, rewatched uh, Justice League. I watched the extended cut with like all the extra stuff that makes the stuff that doesn't make sense make sense. So I should probably watch it. You know, throwing you know the the whole all the Jenna Malone stuff. You know where they find uh, out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all that good stuff. So. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty good. It's exciting. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, and uh, you know, I've, obviously, I've been looking forward to this for a while. Like, I love the fact that they're coming out with a Snyder cut because I am not a fan of Joss Whedon. You know, long before all the shit came out about him being a sexual deviant and sexual assaulter and sexual predator, long before that, he's just a dick. You know, so I'm I'm tired of him. You know, I never watched Buffy, so I don't have that connection that other fans have. I haven't either. I've been told I should watch Buffy. Uh, I plan on at least trying it on for size at some point. Um, but yeah, I, I just I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of him as a person. We'll just put it that way. Um, but before we wrap things up, we have some science and wine to talk about. We do. Uh, why don't you go first? Because I know you've been dying for this. I drank a wine and I liked it. I'm gonna tell you about it. <laughs> so I have been dying ever since they announced that these wines were going to be a thing. I have been dying to get my little paws on these two bottles of wine. And finally, finally, I have. And I am, of course, talking about Apothic's new Merlot and Pinot Noir. Now, I have not popped open the bottle of Pinot Noir yet. That is for next week. Uh, this week, I am talking about the Merlot. Now, when you are really excited for something, like when I'm really excited for a wine, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm you know, trolling the shelves looking for the wine and looking for it and looking for it and going to all of these different stores looking for it you know checking the website what is it going to be in stores because i really don't want to have to order it online um you know anticipation builds up and then you know once you abs actually like obtain the bottle of wine there's all of this like oh yay i found it but then almost like a existential a, a little bit of of, of dread sets in because it's like what if i don't like it what if i have been so excited to try this wine and it sucks so much like what if what if what if my 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 happiness is just crushed um this is so not one of those situations though i open it up uh the bouquet is so delightful immediately uh, upon uncorking the bottle and uh, pouring it into the glass it smelled great. Oh, it just, it, it smelled like everything you want a Merlot to smell. It was, um, smells a, a very berry, very berry. Uh, and, and, uh, there was a, 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 almost like a hint of vanilla 
sent to it as well. Those pine needles which and is, acorns. <laughs> shut up. Which is, I liked which it too. Which is nice. You know, um, and upon first sip, oh, let me tell you, it is it is everything you want a Merlot to be. It's a little dry. It's a little sweet. But not, I mean... Not sweet in the sense that uh, sugary sweet. Sweet in the sense that you can definitely taste the berries. So you get a lot of berry jamminess on the front of the palate. That's that's you know what you are hit with initially, and then on the back of the palate, you know after you swallowed a little bit. You start to get that smoothness. Oh, it is so smooth. And there's almost a creaminess to it. And that's the vanilla notes. And oh, it is so delightful. I've been sipping it all night. Um, I'm about two-thirds uh, two of the bottle uh, gone already. And it is so good. I cannot wait to... Uh, I will probably stop to pick up more for this weekend. Um pretty decently priced uh apothic hit it out of the park so uh, i'm going to give you the notes that they give online so it is a 2019 vintage tasting notes of black cherry boysenberry and vanilla about this wine our 2019 apothic merlot reveals depths of black cherry boysenberry and wild blueberries with subtle hints of vanilla and coconut now i definitely got uh the berries very berry maybe even a little bit of a, a black berry flavor to it as well dark berries so you know they're definitely correct with the black cherry the boysenberry the wild blueberry um and and like a like a really just plump blackberry um i definitely got the vanilla the creaminess i didn't so much get the coconut but that could have been you know it could have been really 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 subtle um and that could have sometimes coconut uh if it's just a hint of coconut it can actually add to the creaminess like the creamy flavor of something so i think that's what it did in in this situation um to add dimension to the wine, we added a touch of uh, a touch of a unique grape called Taraldago. So I'm probably pronouncing that. It's pronounced Taladega Night, star the ballad of Ricky Bobby. No, it, it's pronounced Taraldago, which marries well with the Merlot to create plush tannins and a long-lasting finish, which is is definitely it's it's noticeable um the flavor stays with you like so after you've taken your sip and you've had that really just huge burst of of dark berries on the front of the palate and that nice creamy finish on the back of the palate that flavor stays with you well after you finish your sip um, most of the fruit in this Merlot was sourced from Lodi, which is in California, with some originating Lodi. From Lodi, sorry. I only know that Lodi. because of the I, I only know that because of the Creedence Clearwater Revival song. With some originating from a vineyard near Brentwood, we selected Merlot grapes for their dark fruit intensity and generous tannins to create a velvety mouthfeel. Portions of this wine were oak aged for three to four months to preserve elegant fruit characteristics. Now, I've said it before and I've said it again. I 
love wine that is aged in oak barrels. It makes all the difference in the world. I can tell if it's, you know, uh, was aged in oak barrels versus steel. Steel, you almost get like a tinny bitterness sometimes to the wine taste. Oak is what gives you that, you know, uh, smooth that creamy, that vanilla feel to the finish. So I'm loving this wine so much. Like I said, I cannot wait to pick up another one. It is uh, like the Cabernet, which, you know, uh, I, I have been drinking the Cabernet like it's going out of style for the past year uh, since it came out. It is a true Cabernet. You open it up, you smell it, you taste it, you say, yep, this is absolutely 100% a Cabernet. Uh, the same thing goes for the Merlot. Merlot. You, you open it up, you smell it, you taste it, and you say, yep, this is 100% a really good Merlot. Uh, Apothic hit it out of the park, and I'm so impressed. And again, price point, less than $10. For the bottle. Yeah, you can't go wrong with that, especially because, like, even I like this Merlot, but, I mean, like, we've always had an affinity to uh Merlot's my go. I mean, like, Merlot is my go-to. I'm, I am the mistress of Merlot for a reason. If, if I'm going out somewhere, um, you know, uh, I, I more often than not am ordering, unless I'm, I'm eating something and I'm trying to pair what I'm eating with what I'm drinking, um... You know, I'm more often than not drinking a Merlot. I love a nice, you know, medium to full-bodied, dry, super rich Merlot. And let me tell you, the color on this is gorgeous. It's that deep, deep crimson burgundy color that is just so, oh, so gorgeous. I cannot say enough good things about this wine. If you come across it in your local liquor store or, you know, your grocery store, your wine aisle, what have you, uh, and you're interested in trying it, definitely do. Absolutely, 100%. I cannot recommend this wine enough. Like I said, I'm going to be picking up more bottles for this weekend. Um, I cannot wait to break into the Pinot Noir, which I will talk about next week. And again, this is from the mistress of Merlot, so you know that it's coming from a good place. It's so, like, I was so excited when they announced not just one, but two new wines, and one of them was a Merlot, and I was just like, oh my god! Like, they should hire me to be their spokesperson! Oh, that would be awesome if we got sponsored by, by Apothic. Apothic, I will make you so many ads. Like... <laughs> I'm going to buy you so many lizards. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to I'm going to throw a uh a science fact out there that has to do with um what we talked about tonight talking about uh Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal Lecter. Hannibal Lecter had a condition and uh we saw this in uh The Princess Bride as well as uh Count Rugen had the uh six fingers on his left hand. That is a condition called polydactyly. You might be very familiar with it if you own a cat with big mittens. Ah, oh, big mittens. So if your cat has those big mittens and the thumbs, Double that paws. is a condition called polydactyly. It just means that you have an extra finger. In um, Silence, of the Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal had a sixth finger on his left hand, and he used that to kind of, uh, you know, he had to keep that hidden but they knew, not Silence of the Lambs. I mean, he did have it in Silence of the Lambs, obviously. But in Hannibal, 
uh, he was using that. He would kind of keep his left hand tucked away like they didn't know that uh, he had gotten surgery to have that extra digit removed because that's clearly something that would make him a little bit more recognizable. But uh, they decided that uh, they were going to forego that in uh, in the films. You know, so... Um, so I think that's a pretty good place for us to uh, kind of bring this episode to a close. We've uh, we're we're close to two hours on this. Uh, make sure you are tuning in tonight if you have uh, participated in the uh, the charity drive that we're doing for the Strong-Willed Sports Memorabilia and more uh, group. Their uh, team Wilms Bros uh, Pan Mass Challenge bike riding team. They are uh, going to be riding their bike from Sturbridge, Massachusetts. I believe it's Sturbridge. To uh, uh, they're going to end in uh, Provincetown, which is at the very end. Of, like if you're looking at Massachusetts and you it's see the, the arm, tippy, tippy, it's, tippy, tippy, it's tippy the tip top. of the arm at the at the very end. Like if you go any closer, you're getting wet because you're in the Atlantic Ocean. Um, we uh, we're donating a minimum of two fifty. And I'm going to announce how much we're going to be donating uh, tomorrow night because I'm very excited to be uh, able to do this. Um, and uh, for folks who are not aware, we were uh, actually able to help uh, a, a, a person out uh, the other day. They were trying to get some money for uh, a, a specific medical expense, and we were able to help them out because of all the uh, donations that we've gotten for this contest. So um, we're able to uh, help a couple people out, so that's awesome. But, yeah, we'll be live on YouTube on the uh, Under the Throwdown Thursday podcast blanket. So if you're not, uh, you're not subscribed, subscribe to Throwdown Thursday podcast because that's where we post all of these live videos, all of the live videos that we do for uh, the Loudest Sports Show, the unboxings that we do, uh, all that good stuff because I have an unboxing for an amazing comic book that's coming this weekend. And uh, I want to share that with everybody. So make sure you're following us so you can get those notifications. And I think with that being said, we will see See you you next next Thursday. Thursday. Or Saturday. Or Saturday and Thursday. Just not quite the same. Okay, bye. Bye. (laughs) Bye.